This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back to the Heroes of HP12, the Wick and Wanderers podcast powered by the fans. I'm Michael Kenny, joined as usual by Adam Cooper, Dan Clark, and Damien Farrar Hockley. Our guests this week are Dara John and Chris Spratt. On this week's episode, we look back at Saturday's disappointing defeat against Cheltenham Town, discuss the Kuhig's new ownership deal and what it means for the club, get excited about a new era for our kits, and preview this weekend's season finale trip to Portsmouth. Lads, uh, Cheltenham, let's get the uncomfortable stuff out of the way. We've got some good things to talk about, but we need to get through the pain before we get to the pleasure. Uh, 3-0 defeat, a bit of a rough one. Can we find any positives whatsoever? I honestly couldn't. My positive for the day was I got my IKEA hat signed by a lot of players afterwards. That was my positive for the day. Um, I went with my my dad, my stepmom, and my steps. And honest to God, I was embarrassed. By the end of the match, I was sitting there like, look, I'm really sorry about this. This was horrific. It wasn't a game in which Cheltenham came and played amazingly. We d- just couldn't, didn't look like we could do a single thing right. Sam Vokes, I didn't. I don't think I saw him win a single ball in the air. Cartwright wasn't great in goals. I think some of you have more stressing opinions about that. Jason, I was sat in front of Jason McCarthy in the first half. He didn't play the ball forward once. Every single time it went back. And it was just horrific to see it. Like, I understand trying something different, but that wasn't different. That was just shite. So I don't see any positive from it, no. I've got one very, very small positive uh, and this is me being uber, uber, uber positive, was that actually I thought for a change we started quite solidly the first 10 or 12 minutes. I think we passed the ball around quite nicely. That is really, really, really clutching at straws. We were very, very poor. This is going to be unkind because the kid's nice. Uh, the, the kid's young and he seems like a nice kid. But Cartwright and goal seemed to strike fear into the back four. It wasn't just the goal or arguably goals that he was responsible for. He didn't command his area well, didn't seem to want to come off his line. Uh, and these are all real basics for a goalkeeper who's been really, really talked up by by his championship parent side. 
the two fullbacks just didn't get forward enough. There weren't enough balls going into the box. Folks, he didn't win enough up top. But to be able to win balls aerially, you've got to put the ball in there. And I didn't see any of that happening. Dom Gape looked an absolute shadow of his former self. It was actually quite sad watching Gape. I just thought he ran around with lots of intent, but was just completely ineffective. It was a bit of a disappointing day all round, really. I mean, I was there with 25-odd kids from the uh, from the football club and all of their parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, some of whom had uh, who, had travelled a long way. So similarly was was a bit embarrassed. You know, the one thing that you can't control is the result. I must say that every single player stopped before and after the game, signed every piece of Wickham merchandise that you could possibly imagine, had pictures with all of the kids, um, interacted with all of the kids brilliantly. But the 90 minutes in the middle was uh, was was absolute garbage. And let's hope that, you know, that's given Blooms a clearer idea of, of who's going to stay and who's going to go. Because ultimately, you know, there's nothing to play for in these... These last couple of games, the most important thing is that Bloom get, Blooms gets an idea of um, of who's on board and who's not, and I think that will have uh, that will have answered a few questions. I'm looking at the stats in front of me right here, and unfortunately, Dan's premise of having more possession hits us again. It just looks like a lot of bluster, and it, ha- it has been like that for the last few weeks. We all know that we've been struggling to score goals. And also, I don't know what it is about Alfie May coming to our ground. If you look at the Cheltenham's team this season, he hasn't played every game. But whenever he plays us, it's inevitable he's going to get on the score sheet and we just we just can't stop it. They just wheel him out. Just They know it's Wickham, they just wheel him out. Do we have to sign him if he keeps scoring at Adams Park? Do we just sign him so he scores there? It's just a new Jordan Rhodes, isn't he? It's just Jordan <laughs> Rhodes haunts my dreams still now and I don't even know if he plays anymore. And Alfie May is the new Jordan Rhodes. That's all it is. It kind of reminds me of... Scott McLeish back in the day. Scott McLeish used to mm. come to Adams Park. He'd score every single time he'd come. And and I remember just going, can we not just sign him up? And then we did. And he was pretty decent. It worked, I thought. If you can't beat him, sign him. He's going to Wrexham now, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's got such a good opportunity with them. Just uh, He's going to go to Wrexham or someone like that. I don't think anyone else in the league one will really snap him up. We seem to have some obsession with him, like we do Cole Stockton for some reason. I don't know why, because they don't score regularly. But and and the problem for me at the moment isn't necessarily the the strikers and things like that. I think it's the supply. I don't think the supply is there. Um, yeah. And if we're going to sign someone like that, which I'm not saying we are, because I don't think we will. Um, but we're not we're not giving them the right supply. If we can't give Sam Vokes, who scored a you know Euro 2016 header in a quarter final against Belgium give him the supply that he needs and you know what hope are we going to give a, a striker that's played League One max the most disappointing thing for me on Saturday I think was the attitude and I don't know whether that's from a motivational perspective from Blooms I, you know, I touched on last week and I think this, this created quite a bit of conversation on Twitter over the week about you know Matt Bloomfield's efforts and I think off the field yeah he's done a great job but the inconsistency on on the field is an issue. The fact that we haven't won on a Saturday since February again is a problem and we're not going to until August now. You know, it'll be six months by the time that happens. Uh, by the time we, we, we actually win on the day we play, we're supposed to play football. That's an issue. But I think it's more the fact that there's supposed to be a few players that might be fighting for their lives in terms of a contract that might not play League One football again or they might do, who knows. But there just didn't seem to be much fight and I think that's what disappointed me most. I think Harvey Cartwright is a difficult one, isn't it? Because I'm up in the area, I live up in the area of where, where he's from and he's actually played 
he played for the non-league team that uh, is close to me for a season, and I watched him for a full season, and he was he was decent. But obviously, that's at non-league level. I think if you're going straight into League One uh, with a back four that you're probably not familiar with, and to be honest, has been makeshift all season, I don't think you're going to have the most conducive working group that you potentially could do. But look, the attitude's got to improve ahead of Sunday. I think we've got quite a few. We've got people flying in from Spain to come and watch them. You know, they've, they've really kind of got to go out with a bang at least. Adam and Dan have touched on a couple of points, and there's, which actually I think are really worth going over. Um, I think in the last few games, there's been a few trends we've started to see, um, namely the quick start. We had certainly had a quick start on Saturday, and that's actually been the case in quite a few of the games previously, where we've looked really good for the first five, ten minutes, and then it's just like fallen like a soggy souffle, or however you want to describe it. The the bits that I'm, what concerns me, I think, watching it, is that there doesn't seem to be a clear plan as to how we're actually going to score a goal, like our methods of attack. I mean, we've talked about the stats already, yeah, possession's up, but in terms of what we're going to do with that possession, under Ainsworth, and I don't want to keep harping back onto it, but there was a clear plan. We knew how we were going to score, where our methods of attack are. That's certainly something that I haven't yet seen in the last few games, and Saturday, I think you could definitely give that criticism as well. This is clutching at straws. But the only positive I could really take from Saturday is we were making substitutions earlier. Now, they didn't particularly work, but they were being done. Now, you could argue part of that was because the game was really a dead rubber and there wasn't much to talk about. But that did happen. And actually, I think they're probably things going into next season, I'd be looking for Bloomfield to start to do is to make those substitutions a bit sooner. Um, Can we see a clear plan from the way he plays? in terms of how we're going to score our goals. Do you think that will come from a bit more depth though, Chris? I mean, obviously, you know, we, we're talking about transfers coming in. I, I don't yeah. know if Blooms has had the depth here this season to be able to do that. Same with Gaz, really. That's where I cut him some slack, you know, is that squad. You know, and I've looked at the sides and I think the Barnsley game going back is a perfect example of that. You know, a really good performance. But really, you look at that bench and it's hard to really see where he's going to make the changes. So it's, that's certainly been a case. I mean, I've been consoling myself the last few days with the fact that I see a football team as a jigsaw puzzle. To get a football team working well, to get them performing well, to start to win results, it takes time, it takes patience, and sometimes when you think you've got all the pieces, you realise that actually what you thought was Peppa Pig's nose turns out to be Feynman Sam's armpit or something. And I think if you look at that from a football concept, like with a team, we ended last season and the team that finished that game against Sunderland, you'd back and think actually a good solid squad, can take that into the new season, can look to do really, really well. Um, we lose Stockdale, I would say unexpectedly, lose Stewart unexpectedly. And as much as the replacements in Stuart and Mawson came in and actually have been an improvement on those, like it's been discussed before, I think it's fair to say that both of those positions took time. You know, they weren't, Street came in and actually there was a little bit of change in the way that we were releasing the ball from the from the back going forward as well. You know, Mawson took a little bit of time just to fit that defence until it came as solid as the one before. And again, going back to earlier in the season, that game when we played Bolton, I would say wasn't necessarily our best performance of the season, but it was the one performance I would say was our most complete performance because that was the performance where it looked finest. Finally, like we'd completed the jigsaw, 
that was the game where actually every player, you could see what their role was. You could see exactly what they were going to do. You are going to see what the methods of our attack was. Problem is, that was Ainsworth's last game. Now, yes, we've got the same parts and we've got somebody else coming in, Matt's coming. Problem is, the puzzle Matt Bloomfield's going to make is a completely different puzzle to the one that Ainsworth wants. I mean, I'd imagine if Ainsworth was going out for a night out, not that you do it on a night out, but wanted to make a puzzle, it would probably be of ACDC or of Jim Morrison, whereas actually Matt Bloomfield, one is probably of the trees or of the Sussex or some of the rolling hills or whatever. I love that you got Matt Bloomfield there as an eight-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah, but more of the point is, it's just like the way in which he sees those parts working together. So the way in which, you know, and we've seen it, we've talked before about Lewis Wing, but the way in which Lewis Wing is being used and has been used mm. under Matt is completely different. So I think where we've got to cut him a little bit of slack is actually, he's got his own ideas, going to need to have time, He's got to decide which parts he wants to get rid of, which parts he wants to come in, and actually how those parts are going to work together. And the key for him over this summer is to making those parts work in a way that actually is going to complete a puzzle and it's going to look bloody lovely and get us a lot more wins. Well, let's talk about the more positive stuff coming out the weekend. The idea of, as you say, Chris, putting together the jigsaw, because we're going to be doing a lot of that over the summer. And a lot of what's going to make that possible is the news that Rob Kuhig has increased his ownership stake in the club to 90%. Uh, a deal was confirmed just before kickoff on Saturday. Uh, Feliciana uh, confirming a 90% increase in stake, as I mentioned, aimed at providing fresh investment, financial security and sustainability for the club. The deal also ensures that Adams Park remains 100% owned by the supporters with a new 50-year lease. It sounds like, on paper anyway, a really good deal for both parties. What's the net positive for the club the main net positive from this is that the club is protected and the trust has done exactly what it needs to do and you've got to commend them for doing that. It sounds like, uh, obviously I've listened to Rob's interview on Phil Catchpole's podcast. Reading between the lines, it sounds like it's been quite uh, stressful and hair has been pulled out of heads and things like that. I think that the problem we've got is is that obviously Rob has got a a monopoly on the uh, on the media that's coming out of Adams Park and the trust have been quite quiet. Now, as a trust member, I'm really happy with you know the fact that we've got Adams Park still, and and you know I think the protection of the club is is the most important thing. The benefit we do have now is obviously it allows Rob to do what he wants to do, and I'm glad because you know as owners go, you, you know he he is trying to do things sustainably, but obviously he will get frustrated by the fact that you know as a businessman he'll want to run away and do the craziest things and the trust probably aren't letting him do that as much. It's a case of that balance, which maybe has kind of rocked the boat between them, if I read between the lines, because obviously there's blame being thrown, uh, you know, from, from Rob about what the trust haven't done and, and things like that. But actually, you know, overall, I think they've probably pushed for, for a decent deal in the end. Uh, I spent... 10 years of my working life working with solicitors I can't begin to tell you how painful it is when you put uh, all of your professional trust into a solicitor I think probably Rob being a legal professional in another country is probably tearing his hair out more than most might but as you say Dan you know the main the main role of the trust is to deliver security for the football club 
and that is 100% what they've done. Just summarise some of the key points. Trust shareholdings reduced to um, 10%. Feliciana has subscribed for voting shares, which takes its holdings to 90%. These have been paid for by £600,000 of existing loans being converted into equity in the club. That's we touched on uh, on the debt in a previous episode. They'll meet all working capital needs and operating losses of the club, which again is positive. They're going to fund the capexes. That's the new pitch, the construction of the new access road, which some people think we don't need. But I personally am very, very happy that we've got owners who are trying to keep us at Adams Park rather than drag us somewhere else and trying to think outside of the box and the amount of people that I as one person speak to who say I'd come to I'd get a season ticket I'd come to Wickham 10 or 12 times a season if I could get home before six o'clock it's a standing joke with one of my friends in the village we only live up in Stoke and Church that he can get home from an away game quicker than he can get home from a home game <laughs> um so it's something that needs looking at. So I think that that is a that is a positive, and the fact that there's going to be no um, no call on funds from the trust can only be positive. Future expansion plans. It, it touches on there that they're going to do that through financing and through um, and through grants, which again I think is a good idea. The trust retained two directors on the board, which again is is absolutely vital for me. The enshrined rights are protected. So we're not going to be walking out in pink and green stripes anytime soon, which is uh, which is again a positive. Adams Park continues to be owned by Fall, which is the biggest point for me. You know, these guys are doing it with 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 very limited security, and that's quite an unusual thing. You know, most people who uh, who buy football clubs have got some sort of bricks and mortar security. There's no bricks and mortar security at all, and the outstanding trust loan um, has been repaid. And then donated back to the club to be spent on agreed projects. So I think all in all, there's a lot of positives in there. I think, you know, personally, I think everybody who is a member of the trust or has done anything on the trust or worked on the trust, first of all, whatever they're doing, they believe they're doing it for the right reasons. So whether you think they're right or wrong or they're doing it too slowly or too fast or they're not doing enough, they are doing what they believe is best for the football club. If it wasn't for the people who put the trust together and who took the football club over, we would not have a football club. People like Trevor and Tony and Alan Cecil and a number of other people who whose names I'm sure will come to me later have put an awful lot of personal time, effort, energy to the detriments, I'm sure, of their life, their business, etc., to make sure this football club survived through one of its toughest periods. Rob and family have come in and want to take that to the next level. And hopefully that takes a bit of pressure off of the guys at the trust. But um, there is still absolutely 100% a role for the trust. And my message to people would be, if you're not a member of the trust, sign up and be as active as you possibly can, because it is a fantastic way of ensuring that the future of the club is protected. Would the trust have had a, had a role before this deal in stopping Rob Coohey putting money into the club for transfers? Because I know there was obviously... They, they, the trust were involved in, in the money side of it. I just think Rob Q, he wants a championship club. It's the only way he's going to make any money out of the club. I just think he's now got the opportunity to throw money in if he, as, he, as he's got no constraints. I think the restrictions have been down to the cash calls over the recent years. And obviously, because you have to provide uh, demonstrations of sustainability and financial fair play, things like that, there's only a limited amount that Rob can put in without the trust putting in the same amount. So in terms of that, you know, the, the deal is great because it allows Rob to do what he wants to do from a financial perspective. What's important for me is the fact that the trust have fought for, you know, obviously, look, you know, Rob is a businessman. 
he's a lawyer. He's used to getting exactly what he wants. And I think probably the crux of it here is he hasn't got exactly what he wanted because what he would want as a businessman is complete full control. It's not at fault of him. That's that's absolutely fine. If you've got something like a football club, that's you're going to want to have control of absolutely everything to do everything to what you want to do to maximise its potential. What we've got to kind of really look at here is is the long term sustainability, as we've, we've touched on throughout this. That is the that is the crux of it. And as fans, that's exactly what we want to do because at the end of the day, Rob could walk away tomorrow, and like you know, Steve Dell did at Berry. And then we might not have a club on our hands because he's just walked and gone. And that's it, he's washed his hands of it. As fans, you know, we're emotionally invested. You know, that's that's a massive loss in, in you know, for a lot of us. And it sounds sad because obviously football is just a game essentially. But for us, for a lot of us, it's community. And and that's, that's, that's the crux of it. And that's what's most important. I think, you know, this deal allows Rob to grow the club to where he wants it to whilst protecting the club and that is the right balance for me as soon as it became clear that the trust couldn't stump up the cash calls that they'd signed up to rob could have just called in their their shareholding yeah. if it was being a complete ass about it and could be the 100 percent owner anyway i mean it would have been a very 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 dirty and a very very mucky court case but i think you know that gives us a little bit of comfort it shows you how much he does care about the club that he is willing to not necessarily bend, but he's willing to provide all of this fantastic arrangement for the trust to remain involved in running the club, the two directors, the enshrined rights, owning the pitch. That's really important, and it shows how much he is committed and does care about the club. He's willing to do that. I did want to touch on two things, though. We've talked about the positives. Yes, we can now, the Cohigs can now invest whatever they want without the trust having to do so, but the buck now stops with Rob. There's no more excuses. There's no more, well, I would invest, but I can't because it, there's, yeah. there's no excuses now. He has to invest. And we need investment. We need new players. We need a squad rather than an 11. And one other thing I saw is the whole idea of the new road. But residents of the area won't support it. One of the things is the club has actually a really poor representation and a really poor relationship with the local area. So they're saying, we're going to do this. We're going to get the new road put in. We're planning. How are they going to do that when they? It's taking pressure off the local residents, DJ. It's going up across. Um, that's that's the thing. Though. Israelis land out the out the back. Um, the so the dad, local residents won't have any won't have any say in it whatsoever. That they're, they're taking the pressure off of the traffic that goes down Hillbottom Road by putting in a a temporary access road across Israelis land, which is trying to help out the. Uh, the locals rather than piss them off more and ultimately the only person who will have a say about it is or the only people will be Disraeli and the local council that's the thing though they've said they've had to get council permission to do so which means it's going to have to go to council planning which means local residents will have a say in it inevitably and the local residents of the area are not necessarily satisfied so yeah, they I do need to make it that's not the message I got from uh, I got from Pete when he was uh, talking about it earlier in the season. You might well be right. That's not the message I got from Pete. That um, the message was very much it's kind of ninety five percent agreed, but they weren't able to uh, they weren't able to fund it because they couldn't make a cash call. So yeah, my understanding of it is that it's kind of it just needs the I's dotting and the T's crossing. What more recently, what I've been told is that it's pretty much all planned, but has been given to the council. For their final approval, then it'll be opened up to residents for their say. So I think we might see not necessarily a backlash, but we might see difficulties in getting that 
through if they don't make inroads into that community. At the moment, I think a lot of residents in that local area are not necessarily very happy with the club. And it's a disappointing thing to say at the end of the day. I think for me, the really key points that come out of it is number one, the trust not being called to make any cash calls in the future. I think that's a huge positive. I think retaining the two directors on the club board and you know keeping that link between the fans and actually having them a say, I think is also hugely important as well. And then also the revamping of the terrace and the parts of the ground as well. You know, I love Adams Park, but I think we'd all admit that it has seen better days. There are parts of the ground that do need to be redeveloped. There's parts of the ground, you know, that do need a good few licks of paint as well. So I think all of those can only be positives. I think the one thing when we've talked about the transfers and players coming in and player budgets increasing, just to temper that, I'd be surprised if we'd see a massive change, particularly in the short term, short to medium term future. Because as much as we've got the more new money coming in, we're still a club with limited resources, particularly given our gates as well. And I think as much as Rob's going to be putting more money and injecting it as well, we've still got to live within our means. You know, let's not pretend uh, you know, we're a swan when actually we're probably still a duck. You know, we've got to learn to fly. We've got to, get, you know, start to grow. We've got to use the methods that we've done. Having the youth players come in, sorry, the development players, you know, using that as our method of growth for the future is going to be what we're going to do. So I think anybody expecting to see the likes of Cole Stockton and Alfie May probably going to be a little bit disappointed. I hope it means we can bring in more young lads because at the moment we're seeing a B team of five or six players. That's not necessarily a B team. What would not be nice is having a regular 11 or 12 players in a B team. And we have seen success with the B team. We had Metty come through. He was sold for a million. Chris Farina-Joseph, who's looking like our best pure centre-back, if you don't want to call Jack Grimmer a centre-back. You have TJ DeBar now coming through, who looks really, really interesting. I think there's Jasper Patton in there. I think there's Young there. I think there's a couple of others. I think um, next season... Arnold Machazi. Machazi. Skura. And I think... Um, I actually think next season we'll see Damani Mello come in. I've heard really positive things as well about Luca Woodhouse. Um, A guy I know has been playing with him at Slough and he absolutely rates him. He said he's an excellent player and he's surprised he's not in our first team already. He really rates him highly. It might might be a case of we were trying not to change, we were trying not to throw the shed out and then with next pre-season he'll be starting the train with the first team properly and getting rotated into the team that way. Because I, I think at the end of the day, Bloomfield didn't want to throw the toys out of the pram. He didn't want to put everybody in at one point. You know what I mean? We talk about youngsters coming through. That's a very exciting part of the club. And, and I think the headline of this is that the future not only is exciting, but it's in safe hands as well. So very, very excited to see what happens. Like you said, DJ, making inroads. Let's just hope we can actually get the road built. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, new kit supplier, uh, O'Neill's, coming to an end. A very successful era in the club's history. We are going to be playing with new friends next season. Uh, so we're throwing everything out, uh, new kits and everything. So kit collectors are going to be absolutely delighted. James is going to be absolutely delighted. Someone on this podcast is not delighted, but we will get into it. It's an end of an era for O'Neill's. Good. <laughs> <laughs> The best way that I can describe O'Neill's is it's like going into a nightclub, seeing the most beautiful woman you have ever seen in your whole life, and then realising that she's a complete ass. 
some of their kits were awesome. You know, I'll go back to the uh, to the Scott Brown yellow kaleidoscope kit. But two, all the goalkeeper kits actually have been pretty tidy. The uh, the pink and black one. The kaleidoscope is um, the only kit I've ever been able to get my son to yeah. wear. I think when you look back, you know they they look great. Uh, my experience of O'Neills isn't only through through Wickham, but through local football as well. The designs are the only good thing that I can say about them. The quality is terrible. The sizing is awful. Sorry, DJ, but um, <laughs> but the cost is absolutely ridiculous. And I, I'd always assumed that um, that they were just expensive because that was what the Kuwigs wanted to charge. Until they started charging sixty nine pound for a kids kit if you buy less than twenty online. Which uh, which absolutely blew my mind. So we're going to be uh, we're going to be moving away from them for those reasons. Also, if you're struggling to supply a local football team that has three age groups running, it, it's no real surprise that they've had major supply issues. It was no secret that the club fell out with them due to the way they behaved over over COVID. Um, it's been I've, I have never ever ever known this football club not have shirts on the shirt release day. There's been numerous shirt release days where the shirts have been released. I've gone to buy them for little and ain't got my stock. It is an they have been an absolute joke. There are an awful lot of wonderful things to come out of Ireland. DJ being one of them. But O'Neill's um, can absolutely 100% stay over there. It, it has not been. Uh, been a relationship that I have enjoyed and um, and I'm really looking forward to to feeling positive about my image again and not having to wear a 5XL. Okay so let's get into that really quickly because that's the big point that I needed to make about this. I, I, I like the kit designs. I think that's kind of a unanimous statement right across the board. The kit designs mm. have been lovely. Um, I wasn't too sure on the collar on this year's kit when I first got it, but it's kind of kind of grown on me. But I know there are pl- plenty of people that aren't fans of it. My big problem with O'Neill's, and this has been a problem since day one to, to now, has been the sizing, the big size. I mean, the, you know, mm. there are a few, few lads here. I'm one of them that are pretty big. And uh, I'm my the kit that I got this season. Uh, the shirt that I got this season is four XL, and for for me, that does me no favors when it comes to my my where my brain's at. I've been trying to lose weight for uh, years, and to to kind of go, oh, I've lost weight. Oh no, I, I'm still sat there in a four XL. I don't wear football shots very often. I like to buy them. I like to collect them, um, but I wanted to wear the one that we got a couple of seasons ago, not the promotion. Uh, no, it was the promotion kit, not the championship kit, the promotion kit. Uh, I went and bought it and I put it on really excited that I just, well, I just shelled out like 50, 60 quid for it. And it, it, it looked absolutely horrendous. And it was a real blow because as soon as I put it on, realized how terrible I looked. I just took it off and I've not worn it since. So sad to see O'Neill's go from a design perspective, but from a sizing and having that do my mental health, absolutely no good. That's why I'm pleased. The shirt that's behind me uh, was last season's shirt. It was the biggest they made. And I genuinely w- wore it and looked like Davis Thomas at Little Britain. <laughs> it, was, it, was that, it was that skin tight. And, but it was supposed to be my size, according to the O'Neill's website, where I bought it from. I was so disappointed when it came. And the collar, I, well, I considered, I didn't, but I considered cutting it because it basically strangled me every time I wore it. But like everyone else says, the designs are great. I just can't couldn't deal with the sizing. They have done some iconic kits. Um, you know, the championship winning one. I think the home kit was was fantastic. Um, I'm ashamed I don't have one to be honest. Um, 
they have been some pretty bad ones as well, like the gold kit. I, I'm not really keen on the remake of the uh, red kit this year. But um, I think uh, we've touched on it. The crux of it is the fact that they base their size around a 12-year-old child. Literally, like, I'm many XL and that as you say for your mental health that really drags you down and it's the fact is as well i've had it for you know i've had a shirt for a couple of weeks and then the threading starts going as well so it is is the quality of it it's just it's one of those where you know the, the grass is greener on the other side dj you are the ambassador for o'neill's uh, not just because you're Irish, you love them. And and looking at the kit that you're wearing, I know people listening can't see you, but you're wearing a glorious uh, Gaelic football kit. It does seem to me that their rugby kits, their Gaelic football kits, their other sportswear kits do seem to be of a high quality. I've also seen some O'Neill kits that do seem to be a couple of cuts above what we've received over the years. Do you guys think that it could just potentially be our dealers of a slightly lower importance to them and we're perhaps getting a a lower quality kit because they do good kits i honestly think it's because we have i think they've probably done a smaller deal i have been using o'neill's kit since i was the age of five the kit i I currently have on now i have been wearing this since i was 15 it's much tighter than it was whenever i was 15 but there's no threads loose there's absolutely no issues with it it's the same kit that i got whenever i was 15 I have been wearing O'Neill's kits. I have about 20 of them. Different counties, different clubs, rugby kits, football kits. I have three Wickham, no, four Wickham O'Neill's kits. 16 or so hurling and Gaelic football kits. None of them any problem whatsoever. They're fantastically designed. They're fantastic quality. I can't speak for size because at the end of the day, I am quite a small, twiddly lad. I am not. I'm five foot seven and 60 kilograms at the end of the day. I have had never had any problems. I get into a small, might be a bit loose, fair enough. And I found it really, really disappointing because some of our most iconic kits are O'Neill's kits. You ask a lot of fans who aren't necessarily Wickham fans and they will point at the Samba kits that we produce for goalkeepers. They will look at our kit even from this year. I went to a load of my friends, Liverpool fans, United fans. They went, that's like a really nice kit. The away one, not so much. I'll agree on that. It just... I, I don't know what the club has done. And I kind of do blame the club because I have had so many good experiences at county, at club, different clubs, different nations, and none of them bad. So I don't understand why... Do you why... think it could be an English thing? Because, no, like cause I said, everything I've... I bought, like Barnet, my local kiddies ones, and Wickham, have all been terrible. And no, your Irish ones have been amazing. Do you I have... I have... I have a Lancashire and a London GAA kit Mm. back in Wickham. They're both English. Lancashire, obviously, Liverpool, Manchester, and London, London. I have two GAA kits from them, and they're both fantastic as well. No problems with quality. The exact same as I would get if I walked into an O'Neill's shop in Armagh or Tyrone. So I don't understand what the difference is. The only thing I could say is, I think... When it comes to my club, I looked at um, getting O'Neill's kits for the football team I currently play for, and they're paying less than you would in Armagh, say I was with my hurling team. So it might be the possibility that in Ireland, you're paying more because you get the quality, whereas Wickham aren't paying more, so they're getting the quality that they pay for, which is not particularly great. I am actually 
really annoyed that we're getting rid of O'Neills because I love them the bits. And I understand, especially with the mental health stuff, I completely understand that and that is actually something that should be looked at. I do agree with that standpoint. But for everything else, I don't understand it. The quality's always been fantastic. The designs are fantastic. I've never had any issues with them whatsoever. So it's just disappointing to me. Just very, very disappointing that people are celebrating it when we should celebrate the fact that so many iconic kits have came out of them. See, I nearly feel really bad saying this because I really like you, TJ. But I'm so delighted the kits are gone. I do think the kits are shocking. Um, with the exception probably of two home shits, home shirts even. Um, I think <laughs> the rest have been appalling. <laughs> Slip of the tongue there. <laughs> I'm saying what I think. Yeah. Oh God. Particularly the away shirts. Like, oh, I just look at the away shirts like this year's, and I just find them dull and boring, oh. unimaginative. And I, you know, I look at other clubs so enviously, particularly Coventry, and they come out with these amazing kits. You know, these incredible designs, and then we come out with a purely red top. You know, and don't get me started on the badge. You know the the minute we get rid of that awful plastic badge on the shirt is going to be a minute to celebrate because it is terrible. Why can't we just have an embroidered badge? I have an embroidered badge in my Wickham kit. There's a problem with it, the inconsistency, because I actually bought two... One season I bought two of the same kit. Don't ask me why. It just happened, all right? But they were completely... They were the same design, but they were a different finish. So one of them had a printed-on emblem badge, which looked... It, the printed on badge looks horrendous and the other one had a stitched on badge which looked lovely the kit this season the plastic badge it it, it looks terrible it looks like something i'd expect to see on rosie and jim <laughs> i think this season they knew the contract was up and they've just chucked out a light blue and dark blue quarter kit and a red kit that's the only reason that i can find for the design's being pretty good up until this season, and then this season they've just been absolute dog, haven't they? Let's be honest. I mean, it's just a red kit with a white collar and a blue and blue quartered kit with a white collar. I wonder if they knew that it was coming to an end. They'd had a bit of a fallout, and it was kind of minimum effort just to just for sort of one last hurrah, if you like. But, but yeah, agreed with the, with, with the majority. You look at your Hummels and things like that, and there's there's one uh, brand that I kind of touch on all the time online, and they only do non-league kits at the moment, but it's Hope and Glory Sportswear. If you get a chance, have a look at some of the kit releases they've done because the designs that they do are absolutely phenomenal. I've got a few of their kits themselves, and the quality of the shirt is brilliant. Like, I mean, some of them are in the Football Museum, and they've only been going a few years. So it tells you the type of quality that is out there. And if we're not being able to get a decent enough deal with O'Neill's because their priority is hurling, then great. See you later. Let's move on. Um, but I think you know we need to we need to really kind of look at. I hope whoever they've chosen is going to look out for decent quality going forward. Well, speaking of decent quality, that's what we're looking for this Saturday. The final game of the season. Trip to the seaside, Fratton Park. We're playing Pompey. The one thing that I took from the Cheltenham game was there was a bit of a, an air of finality, particularly around a few of the players. We, we talked about Domgate. Dom's contract is up in the summer, so's Curtis, and so's Wingsy as well. Who of that trio are you hoping to see line up again next season? And what are your expectations going into the game on Saturday? It's got to be better than what we saw last week, surely. I've heard that uh, Curtis is going at the end of the season, so I would like a farewell 
uh, with him at Pompey if that was possible because the performances that he had in the championship uh, year were absolutely sensational and kept us in uh, some of those games. Uh, he, he was he was brilliant. Um, so I hope we get a bit of a farewell. As for the others, I don't know. Um, they haven't even released anything about Wing. There seems to be rumours about the fact he signed a two-year contract so he's here next season or the, you know, he signed a two-year contract when he first signed and things like that. So we don't know. It's, it's all a bit ambiguous as is uh, Wickham and contract, and injury, contract deals and injuries. Um, so I think it'd be nice to have with this being the last game, just a nod and thank you to some of those that have been with us for a while that probably aren't staying on. But again, like I touched on last week, I want youth. I'd love to see Arnold Machazi. The guy seems to score every time he plays a game, you know, and we're, we're missing goals at the moment. Give the guy a go. We're not missing out on anything. I think the battle for eighth is on against Pompey and I think that's the only thing we've got to play for. And I think it's. I think it would be nice. I, I do think Thompson's going. He's been left out of the squad fairly recently. And he's been fit. I think Bloomfield looked at him and said, look, I don't have a space for you in the squad for whatever reasons that we don't fully understand. But he has been a fantastic servant for the club, so I would like to see him start. And particularly, put him over Wing. Wing's mentally tabbed out. Since he had that purple patch in form, he then got however many championship clubs interest him. He's, he's gone. He's mentally tabbed out. Put him on the bench or just say, OK, we'll put some young players in because I don't want him to play if he's not playing home percent he's been fantastic but i want players who are willing to play completely well i do want there's actually one thing i want to see and it's not pitch related i want to see the fans i want to see the fans shout i want to see the fans be able to string a coherent sentence together i went to adams park last weekend and you could barely get five five seconds of a song without it ending abruptly i don't i don't i didn't understand it my dad went, and he was one of the loudest in the in the family stand, and he doesn't go to Wickham games. That was his third Wickham game in his entire life, and he only ever goes with me. It just, we need to show some fight. The fans, if we show some fight, the team will respond. And that's something we can control. I've been really vocal about this because it was shockingly bad. I don't really care what happens with the team. I want to see a good game, obviously, but I want the fans to really come out and really make some noise for this final game. Yeah, I think we travel quite well, so I think the 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 noise will certainly be there. I'm a real big fan of Curtis. I'm going to make a bold statement, but at his best, I think Curtis Thompson was as good as Scowan. It's really sad to see that his best has been left behind after various injuries. I mean, those of you who remember when he first came in from, uh, from Notts County, how good he was, how much ground he covered. He was the first name on the team sheet for a long, long time. Um, and I think injuries have just got the better of him. I wouldn't be surprised to see Gape go either. I think Blooms wants to play a more progressive style of football, getting through midfield quickly. And neither of those players are what I would call ball-carrying midfielders. They're, they're people who will go in, they'll do the dirty work like Josh does. You know, they'll go and break play up. So I wouldn't be surprised to see either of those go. Um, whatever the situation be with Wingy, it does seem that he's clocked out and done. So yeah, I think, I'd like to be able to to just have one last cheerio to Curtis. I think it'd be really good to see Ar- Arnold score today, didn't he? Against the um, the England universities, they drew one and Arnold scored, I believe. So it'd be nice to see him get some minutes. Um, I'd like to see some of Christy Ward as well, because I think he's looked really tidy in the games that he's come on. I'd like to see him get a start or at least get sort of thirty minutes at the end again, just to um, just to show us what he's all about. Yeah, maybe a bit of Jack Wakeley. Just come in and show us what he can do. 
don't know what Taft's situation is next season. I don't know what McCleary's situation is next season. If they're not going to be a part of what we're doing, then perhaps we bring in some of the youngsters in front of those as well. I'm, I'm slightly glad that my thoughts of a few weeks ago have been kind of vindicated by a couple of people tonight about Lewis Wing, because um, I said he tapped out five weeks ago. Um, but if we can keep him for next season and then go and play him in his proper position, which is obviously what what a lot of the problem has been this season, uh, then great, because he could be that 10, 15 goal a season midfielder that we're looking for. He's got the talent for that. He just needs to put the effort in, which he hasn't been doing recently for me. Uh, when it comes to Thompson and Gape, I've always saw Gape as the understudy to Scowan. He hasn't lived up to that, with, but injuries haven't helped him. Thompson, I don't agree that he's as good as Scowan, but I agree that if Scowan's not in the team, he could be an adequate replacement. Um, but, you know, these guys have, like we spoke about a few weeks ago, this is their careers and they, they're going to want to play. And we need to give them that opportunity to go and play somewhere if we're not going to use them. So Pompey, the opponents on, on Saturday, managed by a familiar face to Wickham, uh, John Messino. What are our predictions for the game? I'm going to go with a exciting 3 draw. I have no pressure. There's going to be a couple of players out there who are looking either for, for new clubs or to impress for a contract. I think there'll be a good crowd in there, be a good atmosphere. Looks like it's uh, it's going to be wet on Saturday, so the pitch will be skippy come Sunday. So yeah, I think um, I think we're going to have a uh, an exciting high score draw. I've not been good at this all season. Let's be honest. I <laughs> said so we were going to win three 0 against Cheltenham, um, but I reckon we'll get a two one win because the team want to try and build momentum. Those guys are still going to be there next season. Just just a you, know, you can say you've got a double over Portsmouth in the season on your sit. You know, it makes it, you know, it's a positive end of the season. It'll take some of the haters away and we can build from there. I think we'll lose 2-1, but I think we'll show a bit of fight. That's, I think, reasonable. I think Portsmouth have been quite well. It's at their home. And coming off that defeat, I don't think we're going to bounce back with some sort of fun, full frontal charge. I think we'll do OK. We'll keep in it, but it'll be 2-1 to Portsmouth. I think it completely depends on the side we bring out. Um, I think if we've got a mix of development uh, development squad players and a mix of first team, we might actually see some, some kind of fight because the development players have got something to prove ahead of next season uh, with a stake for, for first team. I'm going to go 1-1 purely for the fact we can't score, but then also for the fact that we're not playing on a Saturday, so we might actually get a result. I've got no bloody clue. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've got a game right this season yet, so I'm not going to get a game right on Sunday either. Um, I'm going to go for a 3-0 win. We're going to do to Portsmouth what Cheltenham did to us. There's going to be fancy dress galore. There's going to be a party, episode, um, party atmosphere. Adam's already promised he's taking the balloons. So honestly, it's going to be a big celebration and we're going to go out with a bang. That would be lovely. Uh, I think I'm probably with Dan on this one. One all. Uh, I'd be pleased to see a one-all draw. I mean, I, I think let's just get the season over and done with. Let's get into pre-season. Let's look forward. I would like to see a mixture of youth and experience. I really want to see Curtis get his farewell. Uh, like you, Adam, I think that he's been one, one of, he's been one of my favourite players 
since he burst onto the scene and uh, his season in the championship was uh, sensational. So I'm going to be really gutted to see him go. Um, one all, um, we're struggling to score, but I think we'll get one. But we also, you know, our frailties at the back are well known and documented on this podcast. So one all, I think, is a, is a realistic prediction to see out what has been a very interesting but mostly exciting season and that will do it for this week thanks for joining for another episode of the heroes of hp12 podcast if you haven't already please subscribe on spotify and if you're loving the podcast help us out by leaving a five-star review you can follow us on twitter at heroes of hp12 you can follow adam at apc wwfc dan at dan clark pr demo at demo 1507 dj at wickham dj and Chris at JG's Long Fro. We'll be back next week for another episode. Until then, stay well, and come on you blues. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.